Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, good morning. Wow, this is, I feel tall up here. Holy cow. Hey, it's great to be with you. I have to confess that I feel a little bit like a bum up here as I hear about 100 people, you know, running, cycling, raising money, funds for clean water in Africa. Wow, that's impressive. And a team of people heading off to Mexico, right? There's so much. That's the church, right? The church that is scattered in countless places uh, presenting the hope of Christ to other people. I love it. I feel like a bum because here I am in the comfort of this theater in church having casual conversation with you and others and wondering what are the refreshments after church. But again, it's great to be here. And as John has said, uh, we do go back. Um, The reputation, you have a reputation. You know that? This church, Ocean Hills? You guys have a reputation. And the reputation you have is that you are an adventurous church, a risk-taking church, an active church. A church that is engaged in ways that represent the heart of Christ to our world. That's your reputation. And your, you get your reputation. Your reputation is a reflection of your leader. Good job, John. Very cool. Um, John mentioned that we've known each other a long time. John wasn't always the wise, mature leader that he is today. Uh, Check out this image of John on his wedding day with some guys. John, were you 12 years old when you got married? I'm serious. You are so young looking there. It's so cool. When John and I are out together some places, people often say, hey, are you guys brothers? And John is always quick to respond and say, yeah, I'm the younger brother. (laughs) Whatever. I'm the mature brother of the two of us. That's what counts. Hey, today, we're going to think a little bit about worship. In fact, I told John after those first two songs, I said, man, let's just say amen and go home. That was was awesome. That's an expression of worship. When I say worship, most of us think Sunday morning singing, and, and that's so true. But it goes so far beyond that as well. The English word for worship, that when when I worship, I'm acknowledging the worth of God, the value of God, the the love of God in my life. Worth-ship. 
We're saying that our words, our bodies, our soul, that God alone is worthy of my affection, my attention, my energy, all that I have. That's, that's worship. You are in a series called, is it called Decrease? Decrease. 40 Days of Decrease. And I want to suggest to you that when, when you worship individually, when you worship corporately like this, it's an experience of decrease. You're decreasing your self-importance to acknowledge God's importance in your life. It's decreasing your pride so that you can perhaps be more vulnerable. You can increase your vulnerability to God and to others. It's decreasing your pride, your hold on possessions, so you can take a greater grasp of what God has for you. That, that's worship. And when I worship, when you worship, when the church worships, it changes, it changes everything in life. Here's a few definitions of worship. This is one of my favorites. Worship is responding to all God is with all that we are. All that you are. Responding to all that God is. Here's another one. Worship is the act and attitude of wholeheartedly giving yourselves to God. Spirit, soul, body. Again, everything. How about this definition or description of worship? To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Wow. That's a powerful expression when we use the word worship. Worship, of course, is whatever captivates you, whatever you put your mind, your energy, your imagination, your money to. You and I can worship lots of different things. We can worship a child, we can worship a spouse, we can worship a pleasure, we can worship a career, we can worship a lifestyle, we can worship a reputation, we can worship a dream that we have. If you were to follow me around these past nine months, you would say, Kurt, it looks like you're worshiping your home improvement project. Okay, I'm building a rental unit in the back of our property, and I'm consumed by this thing. It, it, it has taken all of my abilities, all of my time, all of my finances to make this thing a reality. I'm so close to finishing it. A nine-month project, but it's been all-consuming. John will call me up and say, hey, Kurt, you want to go for a bike ride Saturday morning? I go, no, nah, can't. 
got a project I'm working on. My wife, Melinda, will say, hey, Kurt, let's watch a movie tonight. I go, nah, I can't. I, I, I got this project I'm working on. Uh, you could ask me, Kurt, are you giving generously? generously? I'd go, oof, my expenses are, you know, beyond what I thought they would be in this project. You can say, Kurt, are you praying? I'm going, yeah, I'm praying for one thing. Finish this project. I have been consumed by this. And so I'm not surprised to find that genuine worship of God is rarer than you might think. George Barna does research And he currently has come up with this discovery that among regular attenders, believers in the church, 32% of them have never experienced God's presence. A third never have experienced the reality of God's presence in their life. He goes on and he says 16% have not experienced God's presence in the past year. Add that up. Almost 50% of the church has not connected with God through worship. Here's George Barna's conclusion. He says, tens of millions participate in church worship events each week, but relatively few actually worship. Wow. I want to read a story to you this morning from the Gospel of John that is a story of worship. And it's, it's really a shocking story. As you begin to understand the background to this, it's a shocking, amazing, a little awkward story. But it's a story of worship. And maybe you and I can get some thoughts and ideas of how that might be helpful to our own experience of worship. John chapter 12, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha, who is Lazarus' sister, Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary another sister of Lazarus, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Can you imagine this? The house was filled with the fragrance. The story quickly turns with the word but... But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It it, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. John adds this footnote, not that Judas cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
Wow. Here Jesus is the guest of honor. In the Gospel of Mark that describes this story as well, uh, it's actually in the home of Simon the leper, who most people believe was healed by Jesus. And so here's Jesus in this home. Simon the leper has been healed. Lazarus, who just was brought back from the dead, is there. Martha, his sister, and his other sister, Mary. What's interesting here, that the three descriptions and narratives we have of Mary in the Gospels, each time, Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The first story we have of Mary is that Jesus is teaching, teaching his disciples in a home. And who works herself into the crowd right up to the feet of Jesus? Inappropriately for that culture. But Mary is at the feet of Jesus, learning, absorbing, being taught by the master himself. She's at the feet of Jesus. The second narrative we have of Mary is when she has lost her brother. And it's been a few days now. He's been buried in the tomb. And Jesus comes. And she runs to Jesus and falls at his feet, grieving and crying and weeping at Jesus' feet. And now we have this third narrative of Mary. And where is she? She's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. Now, you need to understand that this worship experience that Mary was doing was extremely awkward. Have you ever been in a social gathering where somebody says something or does something and you kind of cringe and you kind of go, oh, I feel so bad for that person. You feel embarrassed for that person. This is one of those times. Mary has stepped out of bounds in her behavior here for three reasons. The first one is that women in the first century in this culture were not allowed to interrupt men gathered except to serve them. Secondly, no Jew would touch another person's feet because if you did, you would become unclean to worship at the temple. And so if you were to host a meal, there would be someone at the door to greet you and, and to wash your feet, but it would be a Gentile servant. It wouldn't be a Jew. And then thirdly, Mary has unbraided her hair. She has dropped her hair and that, that is, uh, women only did that in this first century culture in the privacy of their bedroom with their husband. Letting down your hair was a sign of intimacy. So can you see why this is so awkward? I mean, her worship is out of bounds. It's not appropriate. And by the way, it's, it's extravagant. So what can we take away from this? Three quick thoughts here. One is that Mary is simply overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus. She has this 
deep, incredible gratitude that just can't be held back to give thanks in whatever way she could to Jesus. Jesus not only accepted Mary, Mary was a good friend of Jesus. Not only accepted but, and befriended, but what did Jesus just recently do for Mary? Jesus breathed life into Lazarus, her brother, who was dead. Jesus gave Mary back her brother. And, and she is just so overwhelmed with gratitude that Jesus would do this. It was, it was a passionate response, but not romantic, not inappropriate at all. It was a worship experience, a heartfelt response to all that Jesus had done in her life. Uh, it was, there was nothing religious about it, her response. Uh, nothing out of duty. It was, it was a heart response. Um, if, I was t if it was my wedding anniversary today and I bought flowers for my wife, my beautiful wife, Melinda, who's teaching the kids right now, if I brought her flowers and, and I... And I gave her these beautiful flowers, and she would say, oh, thank you so much, Kurt. And I would respond with something like, well, don't think anything about it. Um, it's what I'm supposed to do. It's my duty as a husband to bring flowers to you. You know, any notion of romance has just, it's gone. But if I bring her flowers for our anniversary, and I say these flowers are beautiful, but they're just a pale reflection of your beauty. There's some romance, you know, around the corner for that experience. <laughs> but you see, nobody wants you to respond out of duty or obligation or out of routine or out of habit. God wants your thankfulness, your gratitude to be heartfelt and to be spontaneous, to allow that to, to filter into your day. And so my question for you is, if worship is in response for what Jesus has done, where has Jesus brought life into your life experience? Where has Jesus taken something that perhaps was dark maybe something that was dry, something that was decaying, maybe even something that was dying. And where did Jesus breathe life into you? Like he did in Lazarus. Mary's response was just this overwhelming attitude of gratitude. What, what is yours? What, what, what in you brings out this thankfulness, this heartfelt thankfulness to God. Remember, our word for worship is worth-ship. Where is God worthy of your gratitude? The, the story goes on, of course, and what does Mary do to express 
or her thanks, she takes this pint of expensive aromatic oil. It's extracted from a root of an herb that's grown in the Himalayan mountains. And so you can imagine the cost, even just transporting it from the Himalayan mountains to Palestine. You know, it, 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 it's, we're told that it's worth a year's wage. And these oils were often kept by people as a form of investment, like we would invest in gold or something like that. It was probably Mary's life savings. And in the Gospel of Mark, it's described that she kept this in an alabaster jar. And when she uh, poured it on the feet of Jesus, she didn't just open it and dab it. She broke the jar open. It could never be sealed again. She poured it all out on his feet and wiped his feet with with her hair. Boy, for Mary, it symbolized complete devotion. Not just all that she had, but all that she was. Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all in. This is my expression of worship. It's extravagant, but this is who I am. This is what you've done for me, and so I'm going to respond to you in this way. Worship involves an extravagant gesture on our part because of the extravagant grace on God's part. So my question for myself and maybe for you is, is what's your cost-benefit analysis? You know what I mean? Hey, we, we, you may not think about it, but every day you're thinking cost-benefit. What's, what's the analysis, analysis of this? What's the cost and what's the benefit? And recently, I bought a new garbage disposal. I bought one that was kind of middle-of-the-road cost, and I installed it, and it makes a roar. The reason I wanted to replace it was because the garbage disposal would make so much noise, and our TV room is not far from our kitchen, that every time my wife would turn on the garbage disposal while I was watching TV, you know, it would distract me. It bummed me out. And, and I'd ask Melinda, how long do you have to run the garbage disposal? I mean, it felt like it just shook the house. And so I went for the high-end model. After I tried the middle of the road, I went for the high-end model. I, I paid a pretty penny for this garbage disposal. But the benefit, it, it hums. You, you, you can barely hear it or sense that it's on. And I can watch my sports without any interruption. What's your cost benefit analysis when, you come, when it comes to following Jesus? Is there a cost to following Jesus? And what's the benefit? You've got to weigh that out. For Mary, Jesus was worth everything. I'm beginning to learn, I'm learning that there's always a cost in whatever, whoever I worship. There's a cost to it. But I'm more willing uh, to pay the price, 
to worship Jesus for who he truly is. There's a cost-benefit to it, but it's worth it. And so I ask myself, what is it about Jesus that causes me to worship him like Mary? Is it it possible for me to worship like Mary? And then lastly, you know, the the story turns with Judas. Um, Judas responds to this awkward, extravagant display of worship and says, what a waste Mary, you've gone way too far in your worship of Jesus. And in in the Gospel of Mark, who gives the same description, it says that the disciples, all the guys there were indignant towards Mary. And it says that they rebuked her harshly. Literally, that means in the original language to flare the nostrils in anger. Okay, can you imagine? All these guys, man, they pointed out Mary. You're an idiot, Mary, for what you've done. It's extravagant. It's inappropriate. All that could have been used for other purposes. But she didn't care how how foolish her worship seemed to other people. She was authentically responding in worship to her master, to her Lord, And so what about you and me? Is your worship curtailed by what you think other people might think of you? Not just worship here where you might raise a hand, which is really appropriate and cool, but worship out in life. Are you concerned? Are you, is your worship curtailed, adjusted, shaped by other people? I used to have the opportunity to watch, walk our two boys to school, to elementary school. And one day I was walking Taylor, our youngest, to school and down the end of the street, across a bridge on a, over a creek into the back of the playground of the elementary school. And it was, it was our custom that I would go down on a knee and he would be in grade school and I would give him a big hug and I'd say, man, I love you. Have a great day. And he would respond. He'd say, hey, I love you, Dad. Thanks. And then he would dash off. He'd run off to meet his friends on the playground. But this day was a little different. We did that little, you know, I love you deal. And then he took off. But he, he ran about 10 yards. And then he turned around. And he said, hey, I love you, Dad. And I said, wow, that's, yeah. I love you, son. Have a great day. And then he turned around and headed off. And he stopped again. And now he's, you know, 20 yards or so into the playground, and he turns around and he says, hey, Dad, I love you. And I kind of, you know, look around at who is, you know, on the playground, a bunch of kids and parents, and I go, yeah, 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 I love you, son. He takes off, and now he's about across the playground, and he turns around one last time and he just shouts, hey, Dad, I love you. And, you know, I'm just going, oh, gosh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Can you believe that? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm looking around at other people thinking, yeah, that, 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 I think that's my son. You know, I, people around me curtailed my heart, uh, my love for my own son. 
Can that happen to you with your Heavenly Father? What is your response in worship? What is that? What does that look like? Uh, What hinders your worship? Yeah, in conclusion, we're talking about decrease. I believe that when we truly, authentically, genuinely worship our living God, there's a decrease that's happening. We're letting go of the opinions of others. We're letting go of our hold of our possessions and our wealth, perhaps. We're, we're, yeah, we're letting go of so much. We're decreasing so that we can increase in other ways, so that God himself becomes more important than my agenda, my stuff. I told you before, when we worship in that way, it changes everything for us. When we decrease our controlling of life, we increase our surrender to God's leadership in our life. When we decrease our stinginess, it increases our generosity towards God and others. When we decrease our pride, it increases our vulnerability, our heart response to our living God. When we decrease our indifference, it increases our empathy, our connection to God and others. When we decrease our spectatorship, it increases our partnership with God and the church. Do you see what worship does? It literally changes everything. You know, I work with seniors. I've never done that before in my life, but I love it, and it is a little bit of youth ministry going on. Uh, I take a group of seniors every Thursday to Adams Elementary School to do tutoring. And, you know, it's kind of a win-win situation. the tutors, the seniors, they give of themselves to these kids, and these kids love it. They're responding to them. Paul, who is one of our tutors, came to me this last week, and he interrupted a conversation I was in and just handed me this kind of booklet of paper that had been binded together. And he just handed it to me, and he stood there. He's a tall gentleman, and he just stood there with a kind of a grin on his face. And so I stepped away from the conversation I was in and began to look at this. And it said, Happy Birthday, Paul. And it was a book of, that was made by the students in the class that he tutors. And, and, and as you can imagine, I mean, he's like a grandfather figure to, the, to, to these kids. They love Paul. And so each one of them, you know, had a page. And each one of them drew a picture. And most of them were like stick figures, you know, not very Paul-like, but there was always a tall gentleman and then a little body next to him. I mean, every page had that. And every page had some writing that they're first graders, just learning to write. And so they'd say, you know, we love you, Paul. You're great. You know, some misspelling, great G-R-A-T-E. You're great, Paul. But, you know, Paul just... You know, it was, it, it, 
It's precious to him. And he says, I'm keeping this the rest of my life. And do those kids, were they, were they, did they spell everything right? Did they, were their drawings accurate? No. They're, they're learning to spell. They're learning to draw. But they did their best to communicate to Paul their, their great appreciation, actually their love for him. I, I tend to think of myself as a first grader learning to worship. God, I, I misspell a bunch of stuff along the way. My drawings aren't very accurate. But I'm only in first grade. I, I got more room to grow and to learn what it means to worship and to respond to God Worship brings transformation because not only does God get more of us, we get more of Him. Worship brings transformation because not only does God get more of us, we get more of Him. I'm going to ask John to come on up and, and uh, pray for us. And yeah, I, I just want you to know that, God, man, God loves our worship, and it changes everything. You become a fragrance, just like the people that were gathered in that room when that perfume bottle was broken. You and I become a fragrance. And even the New Testament response to that uh, gives us a description of that. It says in 2 Corinthians, he, now he... God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. I pray that that might be your experience, our experience as the church. It makes all the difference. Yeah, man. So let's... Let's stay in this moment. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I always think the, the big mistake for us in church is to evaluate the sermon rather than respond to what the Spirit of God is whispering in our hearts. And so I'm going to invite you to respond to the whisper. Where this morning did you sense God turning up the volume in your own heart? What was the word, the phrase, the thought, the reflection that you needed to hear this morning? It might have been a word of encouragement or challenge. It might have been a reminder. It might have been something in your life needs to shift starting right now. What, what is that? What did you hear? Take a moment and identify that. Don't leave here without identifying that. Just take a moment. And even allow this moment to be an act of worship, identifying God. I heard you speak to me this morning. I heard your whisper in my heart. And now what's most important is that we respond to it. You know, the scriptures remind us that when we hear God's word, do not harden your hearts.
do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts, but respond. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to cry out to God and respond to this God who's, who's better than we think. He's loving. He's generous. And that's why Mary offered this alabaster jar, this extravagant gift to him in worship. It was because she was loved first by Christ, and that's our response. It's because he first loved us that we respond in love to him. Let's stand together and sing. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.